just something about the way we participate in comedy that the etiquette is slightly different and it's just, you know it's a social and cultural thing so it was basically like and I just said to her like I said to her look man like when people are performing stand up you just got to laugh <laughs> you can't join in so it's it's all being done in innocence so I think when you respond to a heckler you have to make a really quick decision like are they heckling you like the word heckle are they are they disparaging you or are they really enjoying what you're doing and the difference between them heckling you and enjoying you is gonna is gonna change how you respond to them. So with this woman in particular, she was clearly enjoying what I was doing. And I think you have to be very kind to people who just don't know the rules. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Hello and welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me on our 150th episode, which a, a landmark I'm really delighted to reach. And if you've listened to all 150 of those, you probably deserve a medal, but hopefully it's really helped you on your journey as well. I wanted a special interview to mark the 150th episode, and I'm absolutely delighted with the guest uh, that I have today. I've been talking uh, a number of times over recent months about bringing in a guest to talk about the use of humour in business. And actually, I plan to uh, look at this uh, this topic from a few different angles over the coming weeks. Uh, uh, my guest today is someone who... Um, is not in the world of business as we see it, although effectively she does run her own business, um, but you may well have come across her name. Uh, she made her mark initially a few years ago when she was the runner-up in the BBC's New Comedian of the Year Awards, uh, and since then she's gone on to make her mark on the British comedy circuit, uh, including appearances on popular shows like Mock the Week, uh, Radio 4's The News Quiz, uh, and also hosting her own shows on Radio 4 as well. So you may well have come across her name. If you haven't yet, you are going to. Her star is definitely uh, on the rise. I'm going to claim to have got in there early because I first met her when she was a school kid because I went to sixth form with her brother. Uh, there's the secrets of how networks work. Um, but it's been an absolute delight to follow uh, her rise. I went to see one of her shows at the Soho Theatre in the centre of London recently where she performed her own show uh, for a whole week, which is a really tremendous uh, achievement and, and shows just how, um, as I say, her star is on the rise. So, Athena Kublenyu, thank you very much for joining me on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Oh, thanks very much. And thanks for that introduction. I'm very, uh, I feel like saying to people, I'm, I've, I've got a long way to go yet. <laughs> <Don't> worry, <laughs> I've got a long way to go yet, but thank you. Well, you, you have come a long way. And, and I know, you know, I had very, 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 very tentative steps into doing stand-up comedy uh, a number of years ago, a couple of times. I know people on the circuit. I know how hard it is. We, we'll probably have a look at that as we as we chat, how competitive uh, an industry it is. And when you get to the point where you are appearing on shows like Mock the Week and um you know, uh, and hosting your own shows and own series on Radio 4, you're definitely in the top uh, few percent, single-digit percent of comedians in this country, I would think, and that's something to be very proud of. And as I say, I, I still remember you and your, your twin brother as school kids when I came round to your home. Uh, many times I came over to your house when we were when we were kids, so it's been really nice to track that. Um, 
So, so why don't we start with that? Just let us know a little bit about that journey because it's that 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 classic uh, phrase of an overnight success, um, which is never really overnight unless you're extraordinarily lucky. So, tell us a bit about your journey and and so what 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 you've picked up along the way. What what the best advice would be to anyone following following in those footsteps. Yeah, I mean, the first thing to say is you mentioned that I'm not really in business, but I actually was in business until, you know, I, I worked. I had a, I only quit my my day job um, in sort of end of 2019. Um, so um, I was very much a, a working professional um, right up until the very end until it became untenable, really. Um, but yeah, so I, I started comedy relatively late. Uh, most people on the circuit will have started comedy university maybe in their 20s but I didn't do my first open mic until I was 31 which is uh, a little bit yeah I mean you get people who start later but generally that's not the case so I was going to open mics with all these little kids drinking their cocktails and stuff and I was just sort of <laughs> showing up uh, being professional and going home because I'd work in the morning um, so but my my journey really started when I kind of reached a bit of a glass ceiling I think in my professional life and I was looking at the at other ways I could potentially um, just earn money in this country. <laughs> uh, to put it, uh, but I, I was actually reflecting on this the other day, and I, one of the things that I did, um, I made two decisions. I made the decision to start com- to start performing comedy, or to start learning how to perform comedy, and I made the decision to start sort of contracting, uh, which is basically you know your audience will know it's when you work as a, a as a contractor and you don't work under like a permanent job. Um, and I thought those were two things that would help me kind of increase my earnings and my influence and really kind of make best use of my skills. And, and ironically, by the time I got really good at comedy, I had gotten to that professional place <laughs> by a contracting. <laughs> so it was like, oh, I didn't need to do comedy. Like I, I was actually, uh, the contract thing worked out fine. But by that point, I was enjoying comedy so much, I, you know, it, it didn't make a difference. Um, but that it, that's what started it. I was looking for a, a field that I could work in where I, could, where I felt a little less rest- restricted. Um, and stand-up comedy is probably one of the m- more unique crafts in this country and that it's, it's sort of quite egalitarian so anyone can do it it's not like being a fine artist or an actor or a singer where it's not actually as dependent on connections as people think because the thing about comedy is if you start in front of people and you make them laugh it's a very undeniable thing it, you know if you've got a great song and you can sing someone will say well there's a better singer out there if you can paint a picture, someone will say, well, there's a better picture. If you're a fashion designer, someone will say, well, there's a better T-shirt. If you stand up in front of 100 people and they're all pissing their pants after, after you're speaking for 10 minutes, then you, you, you've got something and you will get somewhere. Um, and the only time that isn't the case is if you're saying something like really offensive and you just have really horrible people laughing at your jokes, you know. But most <laughs> people, you know, if you go out, if you know, if you get stand on stage and you say really offensive things and make people laugh, then that's not going to really work. But if you're generally saying stuff that you can put out on ITV or Channel 4 or whatever, um, you can you can get somewhere. So it, it, it it's really, that's what, and that's, I mean, I, I really wish I could make it more complicated than that. I started doing comedy and I kept going until I got better at it and until I could be better and then do better things and get to better stages. And then once people start noticing you, then you get opportunities to move away into things like writing and hosting and broadcasting. Um, but it, it really, I mean, I said something a little while ago in an interview, I said it's about the graft and the craft and it really is. You just, you just work and you try and get better and that's kind of it. 
A lot of people, I mean, you make it sound very simple and a very straightforward segue, effectively. Uh, a lot of people listening to this will be, a little bit of them will be horrified just at the pure thought of it. Uh, you know, I mentioned that I, uh, I I did a couple of stand-up gigs a number of years ago. The reason I did that is because what I do for a living is people's biggest fear. So mm-hmm. I effectively had to find out something more frightening to just stretch myself. And and I think speaking in public is one thing. Speaking in public to people where they're expecting you to make them laugh uh, is something else entirely. And 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 I always say that if I if I use humor in a talk and people don't laugh, I just carry on because they didn't realize it was a joke. So <laughs> it's absolutely fine. If if you do stand up, people are paying to, to, to laugh. Uh, so it, 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 for most people, just the sheer thought of getting up at an open mic night, uh, and putting yourself out there in that way, um, would, would just be beyond, um, their, their ability to, to conceive of an idea like that, uh, let alone making it your career. Was it something you were always doing? Was it something that came natural to you? And, and how are those first two or three gigs for you? Um, making people laugh was always natural to me. If there's one thing that I was consistently told throughout my whole life, it's Athena or funny. Uh, it's it's it just followed me everywhere uh, that Athena's a funny girl. And I think I perhaps used humour to hide behind other issues. Very much Chandler from Friends, <laughs> that whole thing. Like it was, I was a very uncomfortable young person, very shy, very introverted. And I, and I still am very much an introvert. Um, uh, very awkward. And but I I always was aware that my brain worked in a slightly different way to other people's and I was always able to say the thing that no one was thinking of and make people laugh and I also had that quality and I always and I also understood that that quality was a really positive thing it it makes people like you and a lot of people when they do stand up particularly if they're doing a stand up gig as a kind of a bucket list thing or or to get over fear what they think is oh I've got to be funny this is the truest thing you ever hear about stand up okay you don't have to be funny you've got to be likable Okay. Once you're likable, then you can make people laugh. But if you're not likable in the first instance, people can't laugh. So you might have even said something funny, but if you're on stage and you're sweating profusely because you're nervous, you're not handing the mic properly, you're kind of being a bit angsty, then it's going to be, it doesn't matter what you've written. So I would definitely recommend anyone who is, who is thinking about doing stand up and please do it. It's a lovely skill and it's a good thing to try out. There are lots of courses, especially if you're in a city in the UK. Every city in the UK has some kind of comedy course that culminates yeah. in a gig. Um, be likable um, and understand you and yourself and how you come across. And then think about the joke second. It takes a very long time to learn how to write a joke and perform a joke. You probably won't get there within the four or five weeks of, of doing a stand-up gig. It took me years to get to where I am, but it's very easy to be likable. You can learn that stuff. So they, don't forget to be likable on stage. Uh, but I always knew humor was really useful to me. And I looked back on my professional career and I was like, I had all these obstacles, but I think one of the things that helped me was that people liked having me around. So even though they might have issues with me being a woman, a woman, um, I definitely, definitely on reflection had issues with, with people um, uh, you know, with regards to my ethnicity, I worked in very white majority spaces. I worked in civil engineering and construction and things like that. Um, and it was interesting looking back. I think, oh my God, that happened to me because because I'm black. But at the time I was like, oh, I'll just move to another job. I didn't think, oh, this is really awkward. But um, humor and just being that person that, oh, Athena's in this meeting. Great. And I wasn't ever extroverted with it. I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't walking around with a party hat and, and you know, and, being loud but I think being like what's what makes someone laugh they'll listen to you 
Um, so um, I kind of had the confidence to then say, well, if I'm making people laugh for free, you know, I can hopefully learn how to get paid for this. So having, it's a very boring, it's a very, it's a much of told story. Most comedians will say, oh, people said I was funny. Um, but being, being, but like I said, you have to quickly unlearn that the idea of being funny makes you a comedian. You have to have lots of other qualities, one of which is being likable, another quality is stamina, another quality is humility, <laughs> because, you know, you might be funny, but people will also find you not funny as well. And you have to think about how to, how to work around that. I love what you're saying there about being likable. And even if you have issues with people, they still enjoy being in the room with uh, with you because uh, you make them laugh. And I think there's that nice thought that you can have issues in terms of direction or strategy or you know just how about how you go about things but if you can maintain that human connection uh, then it makes everything else follow and it makes everything else easier I, I wanted to pick up on something else that you said there because it's good timing actually because yesterday I had lunch with someone who's a regular listener to the podcast and they were talking about their longer term plans and how at some point they they would probably want to transition out of what they're doing at the moment into something uh, of their own. Uh, and I know that a lot of people go through that. So how did you find that that move from starting on the comedy circuit, building it up and then taking the plunge and going full time? How secure uh, you know, was your, your income from comedy at that point? How late did you leave it or how much of a risk was it? Oh, I'm going to be honest. I, I managed the risk completely and I I didn't quit my day job until I was 100% certain that I could live off of what I was getting off of comedy. Um, and just to give people the background, basically, I was fundamentally working full-time as a comedian and working full-time as a project manager up until it became untenable. And what made it untenable was I was awarded a bursary by the BBC and that bursary required me to be on site basically four days a week, full time okay. for very little money. I should, I should, I should add, <laughs> um, it was a very modest income and it was a real pay cut, but it was really prestigious. And they were like, yeah, you're going to have to be here four days a week and we'll give you Fridays to work from home. And, and I wasn't obviously able to then continue. I think at that point I was working two days a week as a contractor, but contractors will know that's more than enough. Um, and, um, and so I wasn't able to sustain that. So it wasn't until the, the comedy world demanded that time from me that I, I went full time into comedy. And, you know, I reflect on that and maybe I should have quit earlier. I should have had more faith um, and I might have advanced quicker. Uh, but I, I the one bit of advice I do give to new comedians, not necessarily your creators, but I think in comedy, like don't give up your day job because comedy is very much about real life and you can spend your whole time trying to be a comedian and trying to live off very little money. And it is very little money in the early days. Um, but at the same time, like it's very hard to be funny when, when your lights aren't on. It's, it's very hard, actually. Uh, it's, it's very hard to be funny when you can't, uh, you know, tra travel is a big part of comedy. You have to perform around the country. Travel is not cheap in this country. And in, in, in now, it wasn't cheap five years ago when I was sort of working quite a lot. It certainly isn't cheap now. So, you know, that transition was quite easy for me because I'd established myself so much. Um, and then I got myself some secure work as from that bursary. 
Um, but, it, you know, I would say to anybody who wants to transition from a professional career to a creative career, and this is a project manager in me, like be really smart. And I mean the S-M-A-R-T, <laughs> smart about it. There's lots of people who want to transition into a creative career and they may be not as good. <laughs> I mean, I mean, fundamentally, it's, you know, you have to really be honest about your ability to create a product which is what you're doing when you're creative stand up instead of product writing a novel instead of product is your product saleable are you good enough or are you able to get good enough at what you do for someone to buy it from you uh, but, but um so you have to be really honest about that then you have to be really realistic about how you're going to make that a reality and I was incredibly realistic and very cautious um and I was able to do that because my job is quite flexible um but yeah I, I recommend caution I think especially in this economy so so when you talk about you know really knowing if you've got something that's saleable did you decide that for yourself based on gut instinct uh, uh demand and audience responses or did you have people around you who would challenge you who would give you honest feedback uh, and who would drive you up to the next level I'm going to tell you a funny story so I did a comedy course which lots of people did in southeast London in New Cross in southeast London and um, I'm, like, I'm happy to say it was a bit of a sham of a course. There's lots of these courses run by people who maybe just stand up for like a year and then they just they get the basics and, they, and then they run a course and that's fine. And it, it was and it was cheapest course I could find and I did it. But the guy who ran this course, he took me to one side from the class and he said like, Athena, whatever you do, do not stop. You are you have exactly what it is that you need to be funny. And I, what I reflect on that, and what I realized happened was like he kind of knew he was a bit of a sham, but he I was able to make stuff out of his pretty poor advice. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like he was probably like, and he was really generous to say that to me. You know, to be like, um, and then to say that. And I remember the people. I don't, I'm not in touch sadly with the people I did that course with. It was just a long time ago. Now. This is 2012, uh, but. Um, they were like, oh, your teacher's page, you're his favourite and all this kind of stuff. So I actually, from very early on, that endorsement, I always remembered that. He said, I can see you, I see your name above in Hackney Empire, you know, which didn't happen, but, I've, you know, yet. luckily enough, been able yet. to, not yet, but I've been lucky <laughs> enough to perform there, you know, several times now. So, you know, that was like, oh, okay. And then when I'd done my showcase, which I look back now and I cringe, the jokes are horrible, but I just remember people being a bit, a bit like, right, that's your first actual five minutes like that that's not terrible right um so from the beginning I kind of had feedback that was like you know what there's something there like you're not there yet but there's potential I would say as I as I as I progressed through my career um I started to believe in myself when I was going into places like you know Darlington and Hull and all these places where places I would never realistically ever really go to unless I was doing a work thing potentially um and you know people who, who you would think have nothing in common with the metropolitan elite that I'm supposedly part of or whatever and I'm talking about you know I've always been very political with my comedy and always been very topical and personable and I'm and I'm like right this, this is working this is all landing you know I'm finding a way using my craft to communicate with people and be myself, but to kind of cross those kind of identity boundaries, really. And not many people do that. Um, so that just be traveling and being able to talk about myself and my stories and my viewpoints 
in front of people like you know during the brexit campaign i'd go to places and there'd be purple ukip banners everywhere you know it'd be like there's no immigrants here why why are you why are these banners here right and i but obviously i'd go to these shows and have these conversations and, and i'd be like yo i've got something and then when i signed with my current manager she so yeah so the initial conversations just me traveling around and thinking wow i've got something because people are listening to me um, and I'm potentially saying things to them that are quite challenging. And the fi- I think the final thing was when I signed in my management, my manager said, I feel no one really does what you do. Do you realize that? And I thought, actually, I hadn't considered that. I hadn't considered kind of, I think, she, you know, she was talking kind of like stylistically, like the kind of comedy that I do. Um, I don't, I don't think there were many people who are as kind of, kind of highbrow as me, but also quite lowbrow as well. <laughs> Because, you know, and that's and that's very much my personality. Like, I'll talk to you about Hegel and, and, and Marx um, and Derrida, but I'll also set, tell you a really gross story about something that happened. You know, like one of my Reading shows is about how smart I am, but I got pregnant very surprisingly with a guy I met and I knew him for eight weeks. So I love that. Con- that's a real contrast. So it's not even my comedy that's unique. It's just me that is like a little bit different. Or oh, that's my USP, so to speak. So I had these little different moments throughout my career where to endorse my ambitions and I think that's really important if you want to switch your career it can't just come from you there's lots of believe in yourself and you can do it but when you make art you can't just believe in yourself you have to have people endorse that otherwise you're just kind of like kidding yourself and that's where the humility comes in because there were times when I obviously haven't maybe made the right decisions and had the right performances or said the right things and I've had to learn from that so yeah, I've had uh, lots of endorsements. And I've had lots of kind of taps on the shoulder to say, oh, maybe you need to do something else here. Um, but that's how I kept going, those little moments where I was like, oh, okay, this is working out for me. And you need that. You need those endorsements to make sure you're not just being mad. And, and do you have people that you trust who will tell you exactly how it is and they won't just uh, flatter you and, and say, yeah, that's great, well done, but they'll they'll drive you forward? The audience, like that's the unique thing about comedy. Like I said, like, you know, sometimes you can do a gig and you can blame the audience. You can blame the setup, you know, and that's, that's fair enough. And you get qualified to do that. You definitely do like, I do lots of corporate gigs and there's people eating a three course dinner around buffet tables. And there's just just not, it's not the time or the place for stand up. So there's definitely times when it's the audience or the promoter not setting the show up for comedy. But, um, you know, if you stand up in front of people, generally speaking, they're not laughing. You need to really be able to analyze why, why that is. So I think again, you, in comedy, you don't necessarily need other people to, to guide you. You just need a, a good enough sense of the craft so you can analyze the nights that don't go as well as the other nights. Um, and as a, as a consequence, I don't necessarily have professionals or peers have conversations with me about how things aren't going as well but I've definitely had I've had some people give me advice after shows um like people who at the time I met them were doing better than me or quite well known and and they've told me what you tend to get is you tend to get encouragement uh, rather than negative stuff so rather than you shouldn't do that it should be talk more about x so I I, I mentor a few comedians and I was chatting to this comedian about her, her comedy right and she was kind of it was okay and I started to get to know her more and I learned about our history and our family history. And, and I was like, talk about that. So it wasn't like what you're doing is rubbish. It was like, what you could be doing is better. And I think that kind of feedback, well, and that works better in life, to be honest. It's always, it's, you know, they call it a shit sandwich, don't they? Like you say something good, say something bad, something good. But in comedy, you want a jam sandwich. You want it all to be good because it's such an ego, you know, it's such a delicate profession for the ego. Um, but I've, it's that, encourage, that kind of positive encouragement is probably what's helped me the most in my career. 
We hope that you're taking away some valuable lessons from this edition of the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you would like support in developing, nurturing, and leveraging strong relationships to support you in your role, please visit andylapata.com forward slash mentoring. There's a speaker called Nigel Risner who talks about uh, feed forward rather than feedback. Mm, yes. Uh, and I think that fits what you're saying. And I've talked about the prey sandwich on, on here before, or the shit sandwich. <laughs> um, and, and I think it can be a bit too cliched. Uh, you know, y- y- your hair looked good, but this was absolutely dreadful. But I do like your <laughs> lipstick. You know, it, it's not, it's not, it, I think any feedback or feed forward needs to be meaningful and helpful, whichever mm. way you do it. And that ability to say, okay, you could enhance it by doing this is definitely a better way of saying you did that wrong. Um, so, so that uh, works out. You, you talked about going to places like Harlem, Darlington, and that was something that intrigued me about your material because it is, uh, I think it's fair to say it would probably, and I've only seen you in London, so, um, but it would probably resonate more with a, a, an inner London audience than an inner Hull audience or inner Darlington audience. Uh, and I saw that recently you mentioned the corporate gigs that y- you were hosting the Marketing Society Awards, or you were, uh, um, I don't know if you were hosting or you were, you were, you were performing there and, and do- dishing out awards. How much do you adapt your material for different audiences? Um, and how much do you read the room mid uh, set and pivot if you need to? Um, so with um, with like my personal shows, which would basically be an hour stand up, I try to not deviate from that show as much as possible. I try to write that show so it plays to any room. It's so important for me when I'm doing my own work and people are coming to see me because it's my name on the poster that I give them what I think it's universally funny. And I'm, you know, like I've, I've done that show in Reading and I've done that show in Chichester. I'm going up to Cambridge to do it. I'll hopefully be doing it in Wales uh, soon. Um, and like, and I've done that material in that show. I wrote the show in, in comedy clubs. Uh, so people who know comedy will know that sometimes you go to clubs where it's full of hens and stag dudes and we do 20 minutes and sometimes you do hour shows and that's more of the art. Um, and I did the, all of that material in the clubs, which is probably why it kind of works as well as it does outside of London because it's been tested with audiences outside of London think about the beautiful about comedy is if you're funny you can say whatever the hell you like you know so as long as the joke is good if the underlying meaning is is a commentary on the home office or um you know uh, uh, or something like that like people will be like even if people aren't even used to even thinking about that they'll laugh because the joke is funny so I've got like a pretty Patel bit in the show right which you know it just it just works right but you might not have a particular feeling one way or another about the home office but if that just just that little bit will just make you chuckle. So you, my show, I try to write specifically so I don't have to change it. Now, if I'm doing 20 minutes of material in front of lots of drunk people and they don't really want to listen to me talk about gentrification, I won't. Because <laughs> They didn't come out on a Friday night to hear my politics. They came out on a Friday night to laugh. And that's one of the things I think that is my USP. I do have that toolbox that I can go into. And I can put up a story about my mom or my relationship or my kids uh, or going shopping. So like highly relatable highly you know it's I, I think it's still technically as, as good as comedy but it's not as important it's the kind of stuff that maybe you might forget on the Sunday morning whereas when I write my hour shows I try to write stuff that you might remember or might get your brain ticking and thinking about things um so yes I change but it depends on the kind of comedy audience that I, I have and I think to be a good comedian I think it is important to adapt to your audience um as much as as you can 
I have a bit of a, a bit of luck in that respect because I, I do improv and a lot of my shows are improv. So if you come to see me on a Friday and then you come see my show on a Sunday, you'll see two different shows. I do a lot of chat with the audience. I react to things. Um, so again, when you do that, you're fundamentally tailoring your set to the audience because you're tailoring your set to what's happening in the room. Um, so that, so it's a bit, of, it's a bit, I know that's not a very clear answer. It's a bit of everything. I don't really tailor my show, but I do improv on nights, on my nights. I perform my show, yeah. so it does change. But if I'm, if I'm in your comedy club on a Friday night and you're out for a good time, you're going to see a very different Athena because that's all, that's real to me as well. Well, I think that is useful because I think that's very transferable to to any any role. It doesn't have to be about comedy. And it's about being true to yourself in your message and knowing the power in your message, but also reading the room at the same time. Uh, and as a speaker, you know, I will pick certain elements of my talks for different audiences because that's what's going to resonate with them. But ultimately, the core presentation will probably remain the same. And it sounds very similar. Uh, and then occasionally you have to respond to what's happening in front of you. Uh, and not stick to the script. So I think that it, it's very, it, it, it seems to work for me in, in that sense as well. Uh, improvisation is often talked about as a really important skill in business. I know people like Neil Malarkey from the Comedy Store Players and John Creamer from the Mayday Players both do a lot of work with businesses, with corporates, to teach those improv skills um, because they help with decision-making and they help with communication and they help in so many ways. Um, so, yeah, absolutely, I think that fits. You, you talked about the hen parties and, and, and the nightclubs. Um, when I was at the Soho Theatre, you had a curious uh, audience member. I don't know if you recall, but there was someone who just kept shouting out nonsensical stuff at you uh, the whole evening. Uh, and, and of course, probably every comedian is asked about how they deal with hecklers. Um, I know I have my favourite uh, uh, famous responses, but they probably don't bear repeating here. <laughs> um, and, and again, it's something that does come up in, in, in ordinary life. We, we saw just last week the education minister um, raising her finger to um, middle finger to hecklers outside uh, Downing Street and, you know, a, a lot of comments about how that's not the way to respond. Uh, and she posted a tweet, <laughs> which teachers have then marked as homework very poorly, um, uh, just about the pressure she'd been under and, and, you know, she's only human. So you're only human. And, you know, over the course of a comedy career, you must have come under, you know, quite a lot of stress from hecklers. How, how do you maintain your composure in that situation? And how do you keep the, how do you deal with them while keeping the rest of the audience on your side? I'm going to be honest with you. Bizarrely enough, you don't actually get heckled that much in stand-up. It's a bit of a, it's not a myth, but it's a very overstated um, thing that you go on stage and people try and shout you down. I think it's to do with how, what stand-up was like in the 80s and 90s, maybe. It was a bit of a working man's club environment and it was yeah. all, there's no fourth wall, so we're going to bully you. Most of the time, when you do stand-up, people will not say anything to you. Now, I've since learned after doing that Soho theatre run and after doing a few runs in Edinburgh and stuff, I just attract chatty people. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I, 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 I hypothesise that I attract lots of people who wouldn't normally go to a stand-up gig because what, I, because what I do is a bit different. So I'm attracting people who want to be entertained. Um, they want to hear certain topics be discussed but they're not really catered for or they've not really been promoted or other stand-ups who do those kind of things that don't feel like they've, they're maybe reaching out to them or whatever. So I noticed that a lot of people who came to my shows, particularly at Soho Theatre one, they are like, oh, this is my first stand-up gig. I've never been to one before. Really? Um, so stand-up 
being a part of the, a stand-up audience does require etiquette. And as a consequence with them being uh, new to stand-up, they don't know the etiquette. So I, I do remember the gig came to now. That woman came up to me after the show. She was just being friendly, man. Like she was finding everything I was saying really relatable. And um, another thing I should say is that was that was a black woman, right? We don't know how to be quiet. I'm not, I don't like to be talked pejoratively, <laughs> but what I would say is go to a black comedy show. You'll never see anything like it. Like the audience is part of the show. You know, there's just something about the way we participate in comedy that the etiquette is slightly different. And it's just, you know, it's a social and cultural thing. So it was basically like, and I just said to her, like, I said to her, look, man, like when people are performing stand-up, you just got to laugh. <laughs> you can't join in. So it's it's all being done in innocence. So I think when you respond to a heckler, you have to make a really quick decision. Like, are they heckling you? Like the word heckle, are they, are they disparaging you? Or are they really enjoying what you're doing? And the difference between them heckling you and enjoying you is going to, it's going to change how you respond to them. So with this woman in particular, she was clearly enjoying what I was doing. And I think you have to be very kind to people who just don't know the rules. And I hope that I was kind to her. And I definitely got a few laughs out of, of saying stuff to her and stuff like that. Uh, with heckles, I mean, heckles are really easy to put down because you just say the first thing that comes to your head and the audience will always laugh. Um, because, and, you know, and no, and no audience members don't like hecklers. In fact, they don't like the people enjoying you loudly either, to be fair. They want to hear the jokes, uh, but they hate hecklers and they're always on your side. So if you, if you challenge a heckler, A, knowing that the audience is on your side and B, knowing, look, you're a stand-up. The first thing you think of is probably going to be hilarious. You just go with the flow with them. Um, so I've had, yeah, I, but you don't get heckled that much in stand-up. I do at my shows because then people come. So if you want to come to my shows and it's your first time in comedy, please. I know there's no fourth wall, but try and keep it shut, yeah? Like, like try and be quiet. Don't have a conversation with me. Like this woman was trying to have a conversation with me. At, but at the same time, I do encourage it because I do chat and I am quite, you know, I. it's weird. In many ways, I welcome that involvement because I'm always looking for an excuse to go off, off, off script because I do enjoy it, you know? Um, so I think people, I do make people feel comfortable to join in. I have to accept responsibility for that too. So I, um, you, you, we touched on the corporate gigs uh, earlier. That's a different scenario, isn't it? I mean, I've done after dinner a couple of times and, and I keep saying never again. <laughs> um, people haven't come for you. You know, if I come and see you at the Soho Theatre, that's what I'm paying for. If I go to, uh, uh, I, I, you know, I don't want to pick on it. I just am aware you did it recently. Marketing Society Awards Night. That's you know, the, the the entertainment is either a bonus or a distraction, and people will take it differently. Partly depending on whether they it's interrupting their conversation, and partly depending on how much they've had to drink at that point. How do you deal with that audience if you're not if if, if you've got say a disruptive table or a table that's just chatting away to each other while others are trying to listen? Okay, there's, I, I have two tips for doing corporate gigs, particularly for the entertainment. Um, acknowledge and improvise. Acknowledge and improvise. So that particular award, I was booked to do stand-up. So they sort of, you know, you get your schedule and they go, right, you've got 10 minutes at the top to do comedy because people think you just do comedy and then you, then you host the show and you got your script. When you host a show, you've got your script and you work around that. Um, and the most important thing you can do is acknowledge. So if it's a, if it's a cold room of entertainment, just acknowledge it's a cold room, you know, ask them how the buffet was, ask them if they've been treated nicely, talk about the canapes, you know, get the vegans to cheer if they're full because there's never enough vegan food, you know, just like, just acknowledge, you know, acknowledge what's in the room. That's funny. Who hasn't dressed up. So yeah, at the, at the marketing awards, it's like, yeah, I was told 
that there was a dress code. So I turned up in black tie and literally everyone was just like in jeans and a t-shirt. I was just so embarrassed. Um, but there were some people that dressed up. So I did that. I did about five minutes on the fact I've been to Claire Accessories to dress up for their silly little show. You know, so it's just acknowledge, acknowledge, acknowledge. And detail is funny. Okay, saying I went to a shop to get jewelry for your show isn't funny. Saying I went to Claire's accessories is funnily enough hilarious. So like you just run, you just sort of run with it. And then there was a guy in a hoodie, so I picked on him for a bit. Um, and there was a guy in a flamingo shirt, so I picked on him for a bit. So you know, acknowledge, acknowledge, acknowledge. Be in the room with your audience because you believe it or not, you're in the same boat. They didn't come for you, and guess what? I didn't become a comedian for these people. <laughs> I didn't do it for that. So in, acknowledge, acknowledge, acknowledge. Um, and improvise. Improvisation is such a wonderful skill because it's such a great way. People, you don't need to be as funny when you're saying something in the moment because people will over-reward you because you just thought of it. So in fact, I would recommend if you're thinking of doing something to be more extroverted and to be more entertaining, do an improv course over a stand-up course because um, most, um, most improv is just like planned. Sorry, excuse me. Most stand-up is just sort of planned improv if that makes sense um so um improv is is just learning you know just learning the little rules that we follow when we do improv and how we build scenes and scenarios and how we how we flip topics and how we lean into emotions is is, is a real skill but yeah acknowledge acknowledge always be in the room with your people um and then improvise and if you acknowledge they're on your side and improvise they will laugh um and I think you you can you can make those ten minutes that you, they're making you speak go by in a flash if you do those two things. That's that's brilliant. Thanks. And and I think you know I mentioned earlier Neil Malarkey and John Creamer as as improv experts and, and and excellent improv comedians. We'll get them on to a show, and they both run courses and they're both great at it. Um, so we'll get them on and, and we'll we'll look at that, those improv skills as well. You said people assume you're a comedian, you just do comedy, and and, and I've. I think, again, it's a common complaint you hear from comedians that people, when they hear what you do, they say, oh, tell me a joke. Uh, <laughs> how how much do you actually, you know, you said people always have always said, Athena, you're funny. Um, how much do you consciously use humour in everyday conversations? Uh, how much it just comes out naturally? And do you think that's helped you build relationships and build rapport with people? It's done both. So it's very unconscious for me. Um, I think in... What, you know, in wider social situations, it's been great. Um, in personal situations, it's been a case of dial it down, Athena. Do you know what I mean? So I've, I've had to actually consciously be less funny. And that sounds strange, but I've had to kind of realise, ha- I've had to realise that the way my brain, I don't, I'm not, I don't like to be like, oh, I'm so unique and different. And, but I've had to realise that not everybody, not, every, not, not everybody wants you to find the funny in every moment you know so a lot you should the funny stuff I never say Andy oh my gosh <laughs> the funny <laughs> stuff I never say because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or be inappropriate and stuff you know it's really it makes me so sad but I've had to over the years look I think I lent so much into humor as a young person just to kind of survive I've had to unlearn that as an adult it's like now I'm I'm kind of not that same person I've had to kind of unlearn that using that as a crutch um but yeah it is nice to be in a social situation where I'm kind of free to kind of turn that tap on and I can just be very stream of conscious with like my friends or colleagues or peers or, or whatever um but it's it's very na- yeah I'm very lucky to have my brain work in a way that naturally lends itself to comedy 
Um, not everyone has that, but it can be learned. You can you can teach comedy. Yeah. The, the the funny stuff I never say that has got to be the title of your your autobiography <laughs> or your podcast when you when you you're at a point you don't have to care any longer <laughs> uh, and you can really let rip with that. Um, you, you said quite a bit earlier. You talked about the fact you're actually quite an introvert, mm. and, and it's always uh, intrigued me this this image. Uh, you know, I'm not equating being an introvert with being sad, but the image of of the, the you know the sadness behind the clown's face, and you look at the history of comedy and you tony hancock is the obvious but kenneth williams as well a lot of people uh, particularly of that era that we know more about now who um performed as extroverts but lived um quite lonely lives and sad lives now again i'm not saying that's what introverts <laughs> do um but that's obviously the the the, the 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 comparison or the metaphor i'm using for it um and it's the same in speaking, by the way. I've become more introverted over the years because I spent so much time around people and with small talk um, that I find it, I, I draw my, my energy from my time on my own a lot more now. And I know a number of speakers who, who would say they are introverts um, and they'll take their moment in the, in the stage, but then they want to be on their own as quickly as possible. Um, how do you strike the right balance with that? And how, does it lead to some conflict where people expect you to be someone you're not in social situations? Yeah. So the the balance in comedy is very easily achievable because you do spend a remarkable amount of time alone. You write on your own, you travel to shows on your own. You might be in a car share with other comics, but you know, then they're, they're comics like you, right? So there's a lot of respect there. Um, and the only time you're with people is when you're on a stage and then you're on your own on the stage anyway. Um, and you plan what you're going to say. So there's, you know, you don't have the awkwardness that you get. Um, so the balance is really easily achievable. There's definitely been situations in, in, in my comedy career where I haven't enjoyed being with people. There are a lot of extroverts in comedy. Sometimes I'm in a room with people and there's a lot of kind of like, it's very loud and there's a lot of people talking over each other. And um, I, yeah, I, I feel like there's certain scenarios where I'm definitely, I definitely struggle. There's lots of, work in the comedy world that is not really appropriate for me because you have to be very you know there's lots of tv shows where you've got to be really big and you know jump on be really out there and outrageous and have big personalities and that's not really me at all i'm very understated and fairly i'm 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 low energy i'm passionate i'm a passionate comedian but i'm actually quite low energy so i don't work like you can't put me on eight, eight out of ten cats like it just it's just too high you can't i can't be on an i i can't be on what's that itv2 one with Keith Lemon like I, you know it's you know it's not it's not me so there's lots of scenario, scenarios where it doesn't work and I think what you have to do as any artist you have to know which rooms are for you and which rooms aren't and so whilst I do something that you know most people say introverts can't do this job I'll tell you introverts absolutely can be public figures and creatives and performers but then but not in all spaces um and you know that's why you hear me a lot on Radio 4 because I <laughs> Because I can just sit behind a microphone and and talk, but it's also like I can do it at my own pace with my own level of energy, um, which is appropriate. So I'm I'm I as I have gotten better at comedy, I've been able to say no to things because I can understand that those things aren't necessarily for me. Whereas maybe earlier in our careers as creators, we say yes to things even though they don't really suit our personalities or our style. And I think if you if you do have to protect your your mental health and your energy by learning what is for you and what's not for you. And that, that's the best, the best way to balance that kind of conflict. 
I think that's that's excellent advice, and it's not just protecting your mental health and your energy; it's protecting your brand as well. Because mm. if you do go into the wrong room, you, you're not going to be at home there, and uh, that's going to show at some point. Um, so, so actually, know your lane effectively, and the ability to say no to certain things is is really key. You talked about sort of sharing. Um, car car journeys and dressing rooms with other comedians you talked earlier about the support uh that comedians give each other it, it is an industry where there are you get you hear different stories as an outsider ranging from you know th- that mutual support and people saying i love this person i love that person to um i mean i'm reading miriam margolis's autobiography at the moment and she doesn't spare um her thoughts on certain comedians and actors and so forth what would you say generally is there good mutual support amongst uh comedians is it a collegiate environment or do people tend to go their own way no it's massively collegiate we're a family you know we know what it's like to to try and be a comedian and then we know what it's like to try and maintain being a comedian when you're there so i i honestly hand on heart it's it's very weird i wouldn't say that loads of comedians are, are, my, are my best mates i had a i had a 40th birthday party and people were a bit disappointed they thought like genie Ajay would turn up and stuff like that <laughs> they were like feed away your comedian friends and i was like well i have comedian friends but they're not super famous right and i think i'm generally quite particular about you know like I don't, I'm not like, I think the term is beg friend. I'm not really someone who's going to meet someone who's really famous and be like, oh, you're my best friend now. Uh, I look for genuine connections with people. Um, and, you know, that as a, as a hap- and as a consequence, my, my comedian friends tend to be the comedians that I started out with. And we're all at different levels in our careers, but that those are the people that I'm close to in the industry. But in terms of like an extended social network, they're just, I can't, you know, I'm so grateful for that extended network of people who, who I do genuinely call my friends in, in the comedy world. And I think what it is, it's like, it's just a mutual appreciation of what you do. It's a like of a Facebook post or a share of your, of, of, of a ticket that, you know, a link that you're trying to sell tickets for, for something you're trying to sell tickets for, excuse me, or someone coming, people came to my show, man, in Soho. And it was just such a, it was so lovely to see like so many faces and supporters. Um, so, you know, there are people in the comedy world who are famously not that friendly and some are very successful, some are not successful. And that's a personal decision that these people make, or maybe it's not a decision. Maybe that's just who they are. And, uh, but generally speaking, I, I personally think that it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, like being likable is just a life skill. It's so, and it's not out of cynicism or I'm going to pretend to be likable. It's just like be really encouraging of people, be really happy for the success of other people. And that cliche, be nice to the people you meet on the way up because you might meet them on the way down. Like it's a very, very true cliche, man. We have, we are freelancers. There's no work in my diary past September <laughs> Do you know what I mean yeah. I can't afford to be an arsehole like so um so uh, but at the same time it's this is not a deliberate ploy to you know get work in the industry like it's this will not work for you if you are not fundamentally like a, a clean-hearted open-hearted person that just likes to be around people and positive about people um and whilst there are individual exceptions that I will not name but th- that have not gone down that route they are individual and they are exceptions absolutely well, that's that's a lovely uh, note to finish on, um, and it really wraps together what this podcast is about. And you know, the message you've just shared—you're not going to get anywhere uh, if you're not nice to people, if you're not 
uh, looking out for others uh, and building those relationships. Um, so you haven't got any work in your diary past <laughs> September. What's, what's happening between mid July, mid July, and the end of August, beginning of September? Are you at Edinburgh? Have you got? Um, are you doing Edinburgh this year? Have no, you got anything no. else coming up? I'm not doing Edinburgh. There's, a, there's, you might have caught the conversation about Edinburgh at the moment. It's too expensive. It's been too expensive for a long oh, time. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. basically uh, it thrives on the investment of the creatives and yeah. um, you know and then lots of people make money except for the people making the art um, I've got two little ones as, as, as you know so yeah. going to Edinburgh is expensive on your own going out with two little kids is a nightmare you've got to bet your own flat child care so I'm not going out this year uh, but I'm doing my show uh, Shaking Her Class Athena could bring you Shaking Her Class so I'll be going to Cambridge or Oxford I was getting mixed up one of those one of those Oxford cities with that um, I'll be going <laughs> you mentioned Cambridge earlier yeah one of the, yeah I think it's that um, and I've just got I've just got dates I've just got dates to perform comedy here there and everywhere around the summer doing a bit of radio work um and i'm going to be launching a podcast later so i will not say any more about that but it'll be a fun, fun little podcast that i'm doing with a friend um uh and um my child mind is going on holiday the audacity so i'll probably be spending a lot of time parenting <laughs> the summer and just trying to relax i've had a really busy kind of first few months of the year um yeah. and i've not been able to work on my personal project so a bit of stand-up and a bit of ch- parenting and a bit of pushing on my personal projects so well look forward to seeing what's next i really enjoyed the soho theater show uh and i enjoy when i, I catch you on the radio as well uh, always always a, a delight when i hear your name crop up hmm. on, on the news quiz or something like that um so best of luck with that people can find you very easily um and see what you're up to and i recommend following you athena thank you so much for joining me thank you for having me so thanks to Athena. When I, I do these podcasts, you know, sometimes I have guests like last week who are experts in their topic and it's very clear what the fit is with the theme of the podcast. Uh, when I prepared for my chat with Athena, originally I had loads of questions in mind about use of humour in business, but I didn't feel that that would fit well and I just thought I would just ask Athena about her career and see what came out of it. And I think there was so much in that conversation that is transferable to leadership, to, to relationships in business and more. So I hope that you you picked that up and, uh, and took that away with you. Um, if you enjoyed it, please share it on social media, share what you took out of it and, and, and what you learned from it. Um, tag me, tag Athena as well so that we can see it and comment on that as well. Uh, and of course, please tell other people about the Collective Leadership Podcast. I will see you again very soon for episode 151 as we start the next leg of the journey. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great Connected Leadership tips.